Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at VisitCalifornia.com. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go on there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with the New York football Giants. And you can hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. It is July 18th. Rookies are reporting for some teams, the Raiders and the Bills to be exact. So before you know it, we are going to kick off training camp. And we are today continuing our opponent preview series. And we are already up to week 17 when the Giants will Welcome the Indianapolis Colts to MetLife Stadium, a 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff. And to get more into the Colts and what they were up to this offseason, we are now joined by a man who has been covering this team since 1984, and that is none other than Mike Chappell, who covers the Colts for Fox 59 and CBS 4 in Indianapolis. Mike, you got Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Uh, Very good. How are you guys doing? We're doing very well, and it's a pleasure to have you on the program. And let's start, Mike, with by far the biggest storyline of the offseason for the Colts. They once again changed quarterbacks, which has been a revolving door, as you can attest to, over the last few seasons since Frank Reich took over. Carson Wentz out, Matt Ryan in. And clearly Matt Ryan's a polished quarterback. He has done an awful lot for the Falcons organization. But, Mike, in fairness, Carson Wentz, from a statistical standpoint, actually had a decent season. 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Most teams would sign up for that. So where do they feel they're upgrading the most as they now make the move from Carson to Matt Ryan? Yeah, you're right. It's crazy when you talk to anybody just casually who knows football, you'd say 27-7. I mean, what, what do you guys want? And but, but it, it, you had to you had to sort of see how it went and then how it kind of disintegrated. And the owner the owner is the one that has been most vocal, critical, whatever word you want to use. And, and there 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 were there were instances. Well, the last seven games they averaged like 170 yards passing. Well, you just you just can't win. I don't care that you've got Jonathan Taylor who was the league's Rushing champ, total yards champ. I mean, that that should make it easier to throw the football, and it just wasn't. So they made the decision early, early, early on, like the night after the Jacksonville loss. The owner was done. He he was moving on. And and just one little quick backstory: 
to show you their, their the level of their dissatisfaction with Wentz, they were going to, and they did, they were going to and did cut him, tra- uh, traded him without any backup plan. Keep in mind that, that when they when they traded uh, Wentz to Washington, Matt Ryan was very much an Atlanta Falcon. The Falcons hadn't yet uh, gone after Watson, so that showed you the, their their displeasure with what they had. They they just they anticipate Ryan being better, but but just just playing the position better, more accurate. He's a much more accurate quarterback. He's one of the top, I think, ten all time accuracies. And they, yes, he's 37 now, I think it is. But they think he's still got a couple of years, at least, to play. Yeah, they, they, when they got him in the trade with the Falcons, he's, they, they took on his, the last two years of his contract. And it's funny, we, uh, we talked to Jim Ursay during the draft. And he said, yeah, he said, we've got, Car- we've got uh, Matt Ryan for two years. And then about five minutes later, well, you know, maybe three years. And then later on, maybe four years. So. <laughs> The longer the interview went on, I mean, the longer Matt Ryan's going to be here. But but they, they just see that clearly this guy is on the downside of one of those Hall of Fame-worthy careers. It, it really is when you look at the numbers. And he, he, he's had – he quarterbacks get all the, the blame and credit. Atlanta had four straight losing years with Ryan, but he he, he was pretty good. His, his and this is not to absolve him because he was part of it, but 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 they had the 28th ranked defense in those four years, in the 31st ranked running game, so they were asking their quarterback to do quite a bit, and the idea here is that he's not being brought in to throw for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns. You know, do your job. When we talked to Chris Ballard when the season was over, he said when he when he met with Carson Wentz, he said, make a layup, make a layup. You know, third and seven. You know, take the check down and, and move the chains. And, and Wentz just too often didn't do that. So they really think that Ryan, with his accuracy, getting the ball out, will be more conducive to what they want to do. So, again, he's not brought in to be the savior, but he's got to play his position. You know, quarterbacks have to make those six, eight, ten plays a game to win or, that win or lose games. And they think that Ryan is much better equipped to do that, even at 37, than Wentz was. Well, you know, Mike, and I've long been a fan of Matt Ryan. I think in a lot of people's books, he's very much underrated. Uh, But having said that, you're talking about a guy who spent his entire career in Atlanta, and now he's got to make a change, pick up a new system at a very advanced age. Uh, I wonder from your observations of him during the spring, first of all, does he still look like physically, you know, he's in in somewhat the – back into the prime of his career if if the Colts really believe that and then second of all how much of an adjustment do you think it's going to be for him to learn a new offense I mean leopards don't necessarily change their spots especially after this period of time yeah well from what we saw and again sometimes that's fool's gold when you watch for the most part during the Colts OTAs and mini camps it was seven on seven all the 11 on 11 work they did were sort of like walkthroughs and as, and as Frank Reich told us, it was sort of like a passing camp. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe because of, of Ryan being there, I don't know. But he looked sharp. The ball came out. We saw, again, more accuracy, uh, you know, timing, uh, hitting receivers in stride. But, again, at seven on seven, doggone it, 
you ought to be doing that. If you're if you're struggling in seven on seven, then you have issues. But as far as far as I think you're right, there is a transformation period, and that wasn't really the case last year. I don't think with Wentz and Reich because of their history in Philly, and I think a lot of what Frank ran was what Wentz was aware of. So there will be a learning, and I think they will tailor some of what. Of, of what Ryan did in Atlanta to what they do, but this still will be Frank's offense. It, it will be. So I, I think there will be something of a learning curve. Uh, they just believe that, that, that he will grasp it quick. And, and Ryan even told us that, you know, the first few weeks of practice, his receivers knew more of what was going on than he did. <laughs> so there's no question. There, there's Because there, there, they, they've been here. So, you know, th- th- there is going to be the learning thing, but, but they just I just have to – uh, and again, I'm parroting what they say because we only saw what we, you know, the limited things we saw. But they really believe that a quarterback of his pedigree can pick things up. He, you know, Philip Rivers did. Uh, although again, there was there was his history with with Frank with with the Chargers. But he, they, they really believe that there can be a, a quick and somewhat smooth transition just because uh, of Ryan and, and and to show you how the hyperbole goes. And we're all we're all guilty of it, but there were you know he was well he reminds me of Peyton Manning out there. I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, come on now, let's not let's not. But that, that was more in his command of the field and his command of the offense and in talking with players. So you know he brings that, and it's funny whenever we mention all this about Ryan, it's it's like a, it's a, it's a diss on Wentz. Well, some of it is, but some of it's not. It's just that they they just. They had to make the move. All I can, all I can say is they had to make the move because it wasn't going to work. To, to, to wheel it back out there with Wentz would have been dereliction of duty. They couldn't do that. So whatever they do this year, they made so many moves in the offseason, uh, significant moves. But if Ryan doesn't work, none of it matters. Well, it's not just Mike, Matt, Ryan making the transition. It's fair to say a bit of a transition on the offensive line. And we've looked at the Colts' offensive line as one of the best units in football over the last few seasons. But Mark Lewinsky comes over here to the Giants. Eric Fisher suffered the injury. They parted ways with him. And the Colts, I would argue, probably have some good depth on the offensive line compared to other teams. But there's going to be some new faces. So how do you see the dynamics of that line changing considering it's not the same group from last season? Yeah, it was last season. They didn't play well. They just did not play well. Injuries. They had ten different starting groups. That's ridiculous because of injuries and COVID. Sure. They had ten different groups. That's that. That's just hard to do much. So I don't think they played well. And having said that, Taylor rushes for eighteen hundred yards, a franchise record. Uh, <laughs> but they've got three. It's crazy what you said. I like their depth, but they've got two major issues, concerns. Uh, with a starting group, left tackle, you know, only left tackle for crying out loud, <laughs> and right guard where Gorwinski was pretty good. You know, he, he was pretty good. Uh, he, he came here and, and won the job and then got a second contract from him. And then with, they just decided they, they needed to go young. So right now the, the, the left tackle is, is uh, Matt Pryor, who they got in the trade last year from Philly. He's got 15 career starts. One at left tackle, so yeah, I'm nervous about that. And, and, and then right guard is going to be either Danny Pinner, uh, 2000, what was it, 20, uh, sixth round pick, or 
a third-round pick this year, uh, Bernhard Ryman. One of those two guys will, will emerge there, probably Pinner. But but the, the depth is pretty good. Again, they got Dennis Kelly, a veteran. Jason Spriggs, a veteran. So I, I, I like the, the depth they've got. But, boy, you I wouldn't put right guard in, in my concerns as, as much. Left tackle, if, if you struggle at left tackle, it compromises the entire offensive line. And Fisher did not play well last year. He was coming off the torn Achilles. Probably came back a little too soon. And he, he developed into a pretty good run blocker, but pass protection was just awful. And, again, if you, if you struggle at right guard, you, you, can, you can cover things up. It's tough to cover, cover up an issue at right or left tackle. I'm going to want to save the thumbnail uh, question about uh, Glowinski for the end of our conversation because Giants fans obviously want to know more about him now that he is part of Big Blue. But let's continue with the offense and talk about the targets that Ryan has to throw to. Michael Pittman has been terrific. Look, he came out of USC. Everybody knew he was going to be a really terrific player, and he's done that. Alec Pierce drafted this year in the second round. Other than those two, who are the go-to guys that they really believe are going to put up some numbers? Besides those two? <laughs> uh, that's, that's, one of my, that, that's one of the two biggest concerns in the passing game is, is receiver and tight end. Uh, they they really need Paris Campbell. Was he 2018? I think it was uh, second round pick. He's played 15 games. He, or maybe in 19 he was drafted. He's played 15 games in three years. Because of it, this is a guy that was not injured at Ohio State. Just a great player, dynamic player, and he's just been hurt. And it's not the old soft tissue where, but you know, if you train better, this that. No, it's been. You know, a broken hand, a broken foot, a broken hand, and in two needle ligaments. So it's been major stuff. When this guy's healthy, he's a player. He's a dynamic player. But at some point, you know what? You just can't trust it. And he's such a wild card because he, he can he can make this group really really good. If he has another injury, they're really vulnerable. It, it's tough to ask a rookie. Although a lot of rookies are coming in and playing well. Uh, in the NFL now with these last four or five years. But it, history says it just takes a little bit of time. So there's so much pressure right now on, on Michael Pittman to sort of really elevate his game. They just made the decision in the offseason to, to stick with these guys. They haven't re-signed T.Y. Hilton to this point, and they haven't signed any other veteran. I just kind of think if they were going to, they would have done that. So this is kind of the group, and the number that I've worn out, and people are probably around here tired of me throwing out there, is uh, all receivers not named Michael Pittman returning had 28 catches for three, 387 yards. That's it. That's it. So you're just really asking a lot for Matt Ryan to say, here's our group, make them better. And I think they will. I think they do believe he'll make them better because accuracy and all that kind of stuff. It's, at the end of the day, I want to have receivers who are pretty good on their own right, not waiting for a quarterback to lift them. But there's a lot of a lot of concern outside the building. I think it's fair to say over the questions at receiver and tight ends are the same way. They got Mo Ali Cox, and the only other tight end who's caught any balls is Kylan Granson, who was a rookie last year at 11. Four of the six tight ends have never played, so they're really banking on in in-house talent. It, 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 not developing, but emerging. 
It's kind of crazy, Mike, just to hear you break that down because I think the narrative surrounding Matt Ryan is, well, he's coming from a team in Atlanta where they had offensive line issues, and clearly he lost receivers one by one, either due to trades, free agency, or injuries, and now he comes into a situation, he's got question marks up front, and he's got question marks in the receiving court. So to your point, if they put it all on Matt Ryan, that's fine, but it's not like he had superhuman powers to rescue Atlanta over the last few seasons. So that will certainly be quite interesting as we're talking with Mike Chappell, who covers the Colts for Fox 59 and CBS 4. We clearly know what Jonathan Taylor can do, so I really don't think there's much to peel back the layers there, Mike. That's why I want to transition to defense. And before we get into the personnel, they're losing their defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus, who I thought did a really a great job over the last few years. Now the head coach of the Bears, Gus Bradley, comes in. He obviously has ties to a lot of the personnel, including Yannick Ngakwe, but they were such an opportunistic group, Mike, last year. They had 33 takeaways, second to the NFL. How much was that what made this group so unique, or is it more of the scheme and how that could perhaps change with now Gus Bradley in the mix? Yeah, it was really, when you step back and look at it, they, they were really good at, with, with, with Flush. They had strengths and weaknesses. They were like, in his four years, they were like fourth against a the run. They, he really put things, stopped the run, and then other things worked. But, they, but then they were like 18th against, in, in sacks and getting pressure. And, and they were the worst in the league. They gave up almost, almost 68% completion percentage. They couldn't get out the field in too many big situations. But then you get 33 takeaways, which was crazy when they were so ineffective at rushing the quarterback. That's normally where your, your, set, your takeaways come is when you're forcing quarterbacks to do things before they want to do it. So it, it, it was the, the strength. Where this defense would have been without the takeaways, I don't know. Because it was really, you know, 33 is the most it had in a long time, second in the league. And Darius Leonard was the guy. Yet he had, he had uh, four interceptions, uh, a league-leading eight forced fumbles, and he's just always around the ball, always punching, always trying to come up with the takeaways, and, and, and it works. And how that's going to change with Gus Bradley, I don't think it will. They're still going to be an attacking, you know, looking for takeaways. But the big difference is it, 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 it's kind of crazy. We, sometimes we get so hung up on schemes and what they do. It's still a, it's still a player's league. And if you've got players, you can play. And if you don't, it's funny. We, we've had coordinators here that have talked about with, with sacks and pressures how they got creative. Well, that's a buzzword that you haven't got personnel. So you've got to do things to, to scheme. Well, they've got personnel now. They, you know, they went out and got Ngakwe, who's 20, what, 27, 28. Still in his prime, he's. It's kind of funny when you when you break these things down. You look at these numbers, and he's one of only three players since he came in the league. I think the last is it six years with at least eight sacks. And the other two guys are, are Von Miller and Aaron, Aaron Donald. So you know, nice group to hang around with. <laughs> sure. And then they go out and they sign uh, Stephon Gilmore, who is a former Defensive Player of the Year. You know, not like in 2015, but in 2019. So. These are guys that, that recently have played well and were available for a reason. I mean, let's be honest. But this defense is probably as as well-positioned personnel-wise as it's been in a while with, with you know top players at all three levels. We'll see if these guys can come through and, and actually you know 
perform to their, to their uh, capabilities. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Mike, let me ask you about the pass rush because up front you mentioned Agakwe. We know what the Forrest Buckner can do. He's certainly been a quality player in this league for a number of years. But Quinny Pay came in last year, and he gave them a, you know, a handful of sacks. How imperative is it for him in year number two to become a significant pass rusher if they're going to be able to impact the quarterback? Yeah, I don't want to call him a wild card, but he had four sacks. And in, you could see him kind of getting it as the season unfolded. He was more and more. And I always I always said with with Dwight Freeney that he may have led the league in almost sacks, although he got a, he got a lot of sacks on his own. But Quiddy Pay was around the around the quarterback a lot, and he was sort of the one man gang on the outside because you know Buckner has led this team in sacks the last two years, which is great for Buckner. But this is the first time in franchise history a tackle has led the set the team in sacks in consecutive years. So that that's shame on the outside guys. Uh, but he, he's going to benefit benefit from Ngakwe on one side at the what they call the Leo position right in. He's going to benefit from from Buckner inside, and he's going to have to win his one-on-ones. And they're really high on uh, last year's second-round pick, Dio Odiyingbo, who who was coming back last year from an Achilles injury. And and really, we we really didn't see what they wanted to see because of the injury. But both those guys are going to be playing left end, and it it should be as good of a group of front four as they've had. They've been banking on young guys coming through, and it's just not work with Ben Banigou and uh, Kamoko Trey and, and guys like that. Uh, so hopefully these young guys can benefit from, from the veteran presence because, again, Ngakwe and, and DeForest Buckner are going to demand command attention. And it's only natural that you're going to have, you know, a lot of one-on-ones with Quiddy P, and he needs to, he needs to capitalize on those. Speaking of veterans, Mike, they have a lot of them in the defensive backfield. You mentioned Stephon Gilmore. He comes over. They added Rodney McLeod, who has ties to Frank Wright going back to their Philly days. Brandon Faison played with Gus Bradley in the Raiders organization. But the guy that I think deserves maybe even more attention is Kenny Moore, who made the Pro Bowl for the first time last season. His versatility he seems to be the guy that really stirs the pot in the secondary. What jumped out to you about his play last season, and how much can his versatility really bring out even more from these vets this year? A, a, a lot. We, I mean, you, everyone knows how we always talk about base defenses. How often are teams in base defenses anymore? Sure. Uh, there, there's so much in nickel with an extra with an extra uh, DB, and and he's that guy. He's sort of uh, of been held back by the. Well, he's, he's a great nickel corner. Well, that's almost like a a slap in the face. No, nickel corners are invaluable. So, again, he finally got his recognition last year, probably had a, year, a better year the year before. He, like the rest of the team, tailed off at the end of last year, but quality player. The only issue is going to be moving into training camp is he, he held out. That's not the right word. 
he didn't participate in most of the uh, off-season workouts, which is voluntary, because he wants a new contract. Uh, he, he, he signed a four-year extension two years ago, which was before he got to be really, really good. So they overpaid him early, and now he's underpaid. Well, how do you resolve that? He's got two years to go in his contract. And this team, most teams don't redo contracts with two years ago, and this team really doesn't do that. So I don't know how they're going to resolve that. They Maybe they juggle it somehow. But he, he, he's invaluable for what he can do. He's got the right approach. Uh, I, I assume he's going to be there for training camp because he's got really no leverage. I mean, as far as other than withholding your services, which I don't think he'll do. But as far as a player, super invaluable. Probably the second most important player at corner after Gilmore. Uh, so a quality, quality player who's still in the middle of his career, still, still a quality player in his prime. With respect to the secondary overall, we talked about how opportunistic that group is, Mike. Do you expect, I know you mentioned that you wouldn't be surprised if the takeaways maybe stay where they're at, but, I mean, can this group do even better than last season given some of the talent in the defensive backfield? Because, I mean, these guys have a lot on their resume. I know Gilmore's dealt with some injuries, but, I mean, they're really bringing in a lot more experience, you could argue, than what they had previously over the last few years. Yeah, I've always thought that it's funny when when they traded uh, and got in got going the trade from the Raiders, it cost them their starting corner, Rocky Seed. Yeah, I'll tell you, unless we're talking a premier corner, I'll trade a pass. I'll trade to get a pass rusher every day over a corner. <laughs> I just will. So, so, I, so I really think that the pass rush is going to be better, and that's going to make the back end better. So, yeah, will they get 33 again? I don't know. I, I I think it's more of a case is can you be just as disruptive? Maybe not as many takeaways. Maybe they do. But but just get the, get the a passing percentage down into the, you know, the low 60s. And they've also, it's funny, also, without the, without a good pass rush, in the last three years, they're, they're, or the last four years, they're, they're third in the league in interceptions. So none of the numbers sort of line up with, how you get them. So I think the, the better pass rush is going to help. Now, one, one thing to keep in mind is they uh, went in sort of against the grain and, and traded a, a future third-round pick to get back into the third round this year and get and got safety Nick Cross. Well, that was prob- that, that was planning for, for Kahari Willis, their starting uh, free safety, strong, sa- strong safety, to retire after three years. So that was, you know, we had a, we had a starter taken out of the mix by retirement. So that's it's hard to imagine the secondary itself being being better when you lose a starter, even though you're adding Stephon Gilmore. So it's it's I, I like the secondary. Uh, I, I think it's going to take a, a a little bit of time for for them to overcome losing Kari Willis. All right, I got to go back to Glowinski. You mentioned him earlier. I wanted to save that to the end. A guy who, you know, started at guard for the Colts for the better part of, what, three and a half seasons, and the Giants get him as a high-priority, big-money free agent during this offseason, trying to boost this offensive line as quickly as they possibly can. So can you give us a thumbnail? What are the Giants getting in this player, not just on the field, but we seem to have a, a good feel for this guy being a good locker room guy and a real pro. Oh, he's a great locker room guy. It's funny. 
it, it, it takes a sort of a special guy for an offensive lineman to be a go-to guy in the locker room because you're always looking at quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, or whatever. But he, he was a good guy to talk with, very dedicated. From everything I hear, he's, he's, he was one of the strongest guys on the team. I mean, just strong, physically strong, great run blocker, good in pass protection. And, again, when, when they when they were going good, he was a key component. They, they had the, the rarity of all 16 guys started, I think it was in 2019, and he was in the middle of that. He, he, he probably played as much as many snaps over his career here as anybody did. And that's it on, on a line that had Quentin Nelson. So quality guy. They, I, I think they'd like to have had him back, but when you're paying, you know, Ryan Kelly, one of the highest paid centers, uh, you're, uh, Braden Smith, one of the highest paid right tackles, and they're going to make Quentin Nelson the highest paid guard in league history. You have to give up something somewhere. And Golwinski was, the guy that just it just wouldn't work to bring him back for another. I think the last contract he got here was like three years, eighteen million. I think it was. So so they had to give somewhere, and that was the one. But I tell you, they let a quality player go, and they know it. So I, I think the Giants came out with a good player, without question. Mike, before we let you go, I want to circle back to where we started because interestingly, you brought up Jim Irsay, the owner, wasn't very fond of Carson Wentz, and. From a big-picture perspective, this is now going to be Frank Reich's fifth season. He's had five different starting quarterbacks. I think what gets overlooked is, despite that, he's had three winning campaigns, including last season, even though they didn't make the playoffs. They made it twice. I guess what I'm getting at is, how much did him maybe going to bat for Carson perhaps impact the relationship between he and Ursay, and do you think there's more pressure on him to deliver this season because here we go again, another new signal caller? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think you're spot on. It's, I, I, to me, there's no doubt in my mind that that Frank is the one that really lobbied hard, loud and hard to bring Carson Wentz in. Again, keep in mind, Wentz was coming up when he got benched and wasn't playing well, hadn't played well for a year and a half. And I, I don't want to put words in Frank's mouth, but basically, it was I can fix him. I, I, I can I can get him back to where he was. And I tell you, if, if you go back to this time. Last year, there was optimism among all of us that, that, hey, maybe this guy is the long-term answer, and maybe Frank can do it, he, the quarterback whisperer and all. He did it with, with uh, Philip Rivers. So, uh, yeah, I, it, it's a real good question, and whether, whether or not Frank lost, has lost a little bit of his, his, his juice with the owner, I don't know. Uh, but, but when you put all your chips in on one guy and it doesn't work, and, you know, they had to do a harder sell. I think the owner, the owner in this case, was really, really in on Matt Ryan. And I, I think Frank and, and Chris Ballard were, too. But whether or not, you know, Frank has lost a little bit of juice with the owner, I don't know. I think I think Ursay still trusts Frank. That was one that just didn't work. And that's one where you say, hey, you know, we messed up on that one. didn't work. <laughs> but uh, this, this, has, this has to work because you just cannot keep change in quarterbacks i mean five quarter starting quarterbacks in five years not only that five five quarterbacks with, with different skill sets so yeah. you're always changing and tweaking and and how, how does the franchise grow this, this is a franchise that went from you know peyton manning in 11 or 12 years to andrew luck for six years and I, I tell you i still have nightmares thinking where this team could be with andrew luck playing quarterback i tell i'm telling you 
That'd be good. Really kind of makes you cry for Jeff but, George again, doesn't it? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I know Jeff George, and that was a bad situation. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it, until you get the quarterback situation right, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir now, uh, you, you're, just, you, you're just limited to what you can do. So, hopefully, you know, I don't know what their plans are. Ryan this year, again, next year he's under contract, but, at some point, you've got to find your long-term guy, whether that's in the draft next year, then he sits behind Ryan. Whether Ryan is more than what you thought, and he's your quarterback for three or four years, I don't know. But you've got to get the quarterback right, or everything else is just a, such a struggle. Absolutely, especially for the sake of continuity, which you can attest to is so important when it comes to the NFL, regardless of the organization. He is Mike Chappell, who covers the Colts for Fox 59, CBS 4 in Indianapolis. He's been covering the team since 1984. Mike, can't thank you enough. Greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and we look forward to seeing you in Week 17 when the Colts visit the Giants at MetLife Stadium. Thanks for Stay joining well, us. Stay well, Mike. Thanks. Thanks, guys. You got it. Our pleasure. Mike Chappell with some great insight into the storylines surrounding the Indianapolis Colts. And as we do each and every program, Paul and I will give you our thoughts on the Colts, and then we'll get into some Giants-related topics. But first, a few reminders. Giant season tickets, they're on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com suites for more information. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. So two things I want to piggyback off of first that Mike brought up, because I think when you look at the Colts from a nationwide standpoint, that's why I brought up the offensive line, Paul, right? I mean, we look mm-hmm. at the Colts' offensive line as really the standard, but as he pointed out, the group overall wasn't a juggernaut last year, mainly because of the movable parts, the injuries, and they lost two starters, including Mark Lewinsky, who comes over to the Giants. So that raises some question marks. And in fairness, the last few years, you can argue the Colts receiving core wasn't, wow. I mean, beyond Michael Pittman or T.Y. Hilton, who obviously he's been getting up there in age, they didn't really have a lot of depth. And they got by mainly because of their rushing attack. So I don't know how concerned I am about the limited targets. And I know a lot of people have brought that up, but it's fair to question what state this offensive line is in, because if they're expecting Matt Ryan to upgrade Carson, as we discussed, and he doesn't have that stability, which clearly he didn't have in Atlanta, I just I don't know how much Matt Ryan could truly elevate that group. I thought you made a really good point with Mike about how Matt Ryan really had to labor through losing receivers in Atlanta, losing uh, offensive line over the years. And wow, look at this. It's almost like a mirror image in that he's going to a Colts team that's got some of the same issues. The difference being Jonathan Taylor is an absolute workhorse 
in the run game. And when you consider that he ran for over 1,800 yards last year and had over 330 carries, holy good God. You know, he's one of those guys who's a throwback. You know, we talk all the time about how most NFL rushing attacks have a 1 and a 1A or a 1 and a 2, if you will. No, Jonathan Taylor is the guy. He is a throwback bell cow. That is is a significant component that Ryan's going to be able to lean on. Having said that, you are correct, Lance, in that his targets are still going to have to make, to make plays on the under end of his passes, and I talk about that all the time. Receivers got to finish off the pass, but to know that he can hand the ball to Taylor and to know that defenses are going to have to guard against this guy's ability to run it, that's got to give Ryan a little bit more comfort than what he had in Atlanta. No doubt about it. Plus, here's the other thing that I think is promising with respect to their running game. Not that we're hoping Jonathan Taylor gets hurt, given how strong he's been, but they brought in Philip Lindsay this offseason. Mm-hmm. Here's a guy, right, Paul, has a lot of starting experience. He's sure. been with Denver, right? He's been with the Texans. Naheem Hines, who's been with the team the last few years, is a really nice change of pace guy who I don't think gets enough attention league-wide. He's a really good receiver. He can also run. So there's some substance even behind Taylor if, and I'm not saying they want to go this route, but hey, maybe they want to cut him back a little bit. Because remember, as you gain the years and the wear and tear, we've seen what that does to running backs. They have the options if they want to bring in a few more guys into the mix. And I don't think the drop-off is going to be immense because of the experience and the versatility they have there. I think you're absolutely right, but the other point that I don't think we should ignore uh, is also that they they will say that over the years, uh, the tight end's best friend when he's under duress and doesn't have receivers making plays and doesn't have an offensive line holding up is his tight end. Well, you know, the tight end situation in Indianapolis is nothing like what it was over the past 15 years or so. They've, they've got a lot of question marks there. It's one of the reasons why they drafted Jelani Woods in the third round. Yep. Because they are they are sketchy. And, and that could be another situation where somebody there has to step up out of that room. We know he's got the running back in Taylor. Could he potentially get somebody who provides a security blanket out of the tight ends room? Well, the guy that they're going to point to is Mo Ali Cox, who's a former basketball player who, in fairness, has shown some flashes. He just hasn't had to be the guy because what you were referencing is, and I'm going real old school, they had Dallas Clark for all those years with Peyton Manning, right? <laughs> yes. But then it, then they had Jack Doyle, who was mm-hmm. still a solid presence. Doyle's not on the team, so now Mo Ali Cox has to take the step up and Woods, who they just drafted. But Mo Ali Cox, I mean, like I said, he's a former basketball player. He's got the size. He's still a little bit raw because he hasn't been playing football his entire career. But 6'5", 267, I've seen him make plays in the end zone. He's got some underrated speed. That's the X factor for me this season. If you were to say who needs to deliver, who has the best opportunity, it's him. And the other guy is who Mike brought up in our conversation, Paris Campbell. Because as he noted, Campbell's got the talent. Campbell has not had the durability. He's been unreliable. They have not been able to know what they're going to get in him and also whether or not he's going to stay on the field. If this is the year he puts it together with Mo Ali Cox, then all of a sudden you got Alec Pierce, you got... 
Pittman, and you got two other complementary guys. Now the dynamics changes, Paul, very quickly. It's just it's a little bit of the land of the unknown because we don't know at this stage whether or not you could bank on some of those guys. Well, Allie Cox really has not stepped forward to be that frontline producer during his first four NFL seasons. So, you know, to ask him to do it now in, in season number five may be a little stretch. I mean, that's probably why they took Woods in the third round. We know this was a deep tight end class, and I, I think clearly they believe that Woods can be the tight end of their future. Now, is he the tight end of their present? Well, that's up to Ali Cox to fight him off. Well, and I'm also going based on his numbers don't jump off the page. No disagreement there. But in fairness, if you look at his snap count, Paul, the first two years he played in the 30s percentage-wise, mm -hmm. it bumped right near 50 in 2020, and he's coming off a career high in snaps with 609 this past season. So it's no surprise he had a career year in terms of targets. He didn't have a high reception rate, and part of that may have been the lack of chemistry between he and Carson. He actually did better with Phillip Rivers the prior year, right, he in did. terms of 31 receptions on 39 targets. But, hey, maybe he builds chemistry with Matt Ryan. They clearly have had the entire spring together, and Woods was a little bit late to join because he was drafted. It's possible. Listen, year five is not the common element for the breakout year, but if I'm Mo Ali cox and I'm the coaching staff, I'm Frank Reich, I'm looking at him saying, hey, you can't ask for a better opportunity this season. So either take it and run with it, or else, obviously, we're going to move forward with some of the younger options on the yeah. roster. No, he, it's, it's an important season for him. I don't think there's any doubt. And then just real quickly on the defensive side of the ball, I love this unit last season, and Mike talked about how opportunistic they were. I think they added even more firepower because now with DeForest Buckner, who is one of the top interior defensive linemen, just to put things in perspective, he was putting in Gakwe's numbers in perspective with the eight sacks, but when you talk about Buckner, Aaron Donald is also in the conversation. When you're looking at guys who have been as consistent on the interior, so you know you get pressure up front inside. Now, can Ngakwe, can Quiddy Pay capitalize on that? Because Ngakwe's coming off a really good season with the Raiders, and I think they have a really nice group on the back end. This Colts defense, here's maybe the good news for Matt Ryan. You were talking about Taylor differentiates what he had from Atlanta. The other big differentiation, Paul, is the defense. You can't <laughs> yeah. tell me he ever had this type of defense when he was in Atlanta. No, they got some players in, in Indy this year, and they're spread out across the three units, yep. and, and that gives them some balance. So uh, I would agree with you. Maybe that allows Matt Ryan a little bit more of a cushion, understanding that the defense can probably hold up in a tight ball game where when he was in Atlanta, he knew. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. He had to play pinball. He, and, and sometimes, as we discussed, without the necessary parts, he was still going to have to go out there and throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns to give them a chance. That's why the quarterback alone does not tell the whole story. You have to look at the dynamics around the quarterback. That holds true for every single team. We've talked about it here with the Giants. And Matt Ryan, I think, is a poster child from that standpoint as well. So that's the Week 7 opponent for the Giants. Colts come to town, MetLife Stadium, and... That will be a very interesting game, I'm sure, for Indy because they're expected to compete for the AFC South title with Tennessee this year. 
And as far as whether or not the Giants will be in the hunt, a lot will depend on whether or not this group obviously can stay durable and how consistent they can, can perform with respect to the two new coordinators in play on offense and defense. And that brings us to looking ahead to training camp because, Paul, we answered some of these questions on our show last week, and I thought we could sneak in a few more. 22 questions in 22 days leading up to training camp. It is one of our features currently on Giants.com. It's a new question every single day. We're going to be up to question number 14, which will be revealed later today. And we answered a few, so I want to throw out a few more. And this is focusing on... When you look at the roster, who can emerge, who can make a name for themselves, and so forth. So let's go to number 11. Who is a sleeper player to watch on this team this season? Which is always interesting. A guy that maybe there's not a lot of hype, there's not a lot of buzz, but you think could very well make some noise this season. Well, you know, during the course of these last several months, I've been substituting that word sleeper with the word intriguing which is why Ellison Smith is hands down the winner for me for this question because I look at this guy's skill set. I look at his tools. It is a very unique collection of talents that he brings to the table. And when you consider that he has the potential to be standing up, to be putting his hand down in the ground, on that edge, knowing what Wink Martindale wants to do, where he has undefined positions on so many different players that he's going to have on the field at a given time. See, the question becomes for me, how early does Ellerson Smith, after missing that last year of college because his team opted out, and then last year having an injury and not getting the full experience as a rookie, the question for me becomes how quickly can he show Wink Martindale, A, that he knows what Wink wants him to do, and B, that he can effectively execute it on the field. Because we know that the Giants have a lot of numbers on the edge amongst Thibodeau, Otolari, and a bunch of the other linebackers who are also on the depth chart. The thing about Ellerson Smith is he's going to have to show it early enough so that he can earn those snaps to then go out and show that indeed he is a sleeper pick. I think the problem that the Giants are going to have to go through as they look at their edge guys, they have quantity. I don't know how deep the quality is on the depth chart, but they've got a lot of bodies, whether it's Cam Brown or whether you think that Coughlin's going to go back outside. I tend to believe he's going to earn his snaps on the inside myself, but he certainly could be on the outside. Could one of these rookies uh, like Beavers, uh, who we know, we know, that they look at him as a potential outside pass rusher. Does Saint Zimenez wake up after several years of, of slumber? There are numbers out there. And, you know, obviously Thibodeau's going to be on the field a lot. Larry's going to be on the field a lot. But they're not going to take every snap. There are going to be times, you know, a, a guy like Cam Brown, somebody's going to have to earn that number three outside edge rusher group of snaps, who's it going to be? Or or is it possible with Ellerson Smith's size and length, does he also wind up earning some snaps with his hand down where he winds up being in some sort of pass rush combination with those guys while he's down on the ground? I just... I'm really, really, really curious 
and really excited, to be honest, to see how that position sorts itself out, knowing that Wink is going to use a Rubik's Cube group of players in all kinds of ways. So for me, that's a guy who may have really, really big ups, or it may turn out he barely sees the field because the other guys on the depth chart beat him out for the snaps. I'm going to stay at the linebacker position. I'm going to throw out two guys who I think also could make a lot of noise or perhaps could be extremely quiet. Similar extremes that you panned out with respect to Ellerson Smith. Micah McFadden is intriguing to me because he was used as a blitzer at Indiana. And I think as an interior linebacker, I could see Wink tapping right into that in trying to create more ways to get pressure. So he certainly could be a sleeper, but I think he'll be a situational defender. I don't think he's going to be an every-down defender, and I think his snaps could be far and few. He may be utilized more as a special teamer to start, and then they expand his role more on defense. So maybe he becomes more of a sleeper candidate as the season progresses. The other guy who may be somebody else in that package of players that you named is Jihad Ward. Because remember, he was the veteran that was brought in in free agency. I made this comparison, I believe, earlier this offseason. I look at him as like a Kyler Fackrell, Paul. Fackrell mm-hmm. was another one of those sleeper type of players. He came over from Green Bay. He was with Patrick Graham. And he had that one unbelievable season with double-digit sacks. But he came to the Giants. He didn't know what he was going to do. And he didn't have double-digit sacks. But he had a lot of those game-changing, disruptive plays. Remember, he had the pick six against Dallas on the road. And he did a lot of the little things that added up. Ward, to me, could be that glue guy for Martindale. He's got familiarity with Martindale's scheme. He is not a big sack guy, but we know his length enables him to maybe make those disruptive plays, get hands on balls, force takeaways and turnovers. So Ward, to me, is a guy that I don't think anyone's talking about, could very well emerge, and I think McFadden fits that bill as well. So I think you and I are really thinking along the same pages in terms of that linebacking core overall. I I suspect... That as you look at Ward physically, and we've gotten a chance. In fact, I was I was at the Giants the day he signed and did a spot with him. He is a big guy. Yeah. Okay, I don't see him necessarily playing more linebacker. I see him playing more as the defensive end with his hand down in the dirt. Um, so I, I don't know if he is in more of a competition with the D lineman or if he's in more of a competition with the edge rushers. Because the other thing I see I see in him, and I'm curious as to how Wink will employ him here as opposed to in Baltimore, I don't think – now, you, we'd have to go back and actually you know go into the tape, and I didn't go back to his Baltimore days because, remember, last year he was in Jacksonville. Yep. Um, I need to see how often did they line him up at the defensive tackle spot in a pass rush mode where he was like a three-technique guy. That would that would be curious to me. The problem is Leonard Williams has got that spot sewn up for the Giants, and you're not taking him off the field. Is there a possibility where they would, you know what, forget about the bigger plugger like a Dexter Lawrence, maybe is it possible you could see Ward and Williams both playing on the interior, and maybe a Thibodeau outside on the edge, and and throwing a um um oh we're we're, we're Ellison Smith out there throwing Ojolari as a stand up. Remember the thing that Wink's gonna do with his Rubik's cube scheme. 
there are going to be times you could see one defensive lineman and five linebackers on a six-man front. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that he's going to pull out of his hat. So does, does Jahide Ward fit into that scenario in some way, shape, or form? I agree with you. I think it's intriguing how he'll be used. I don't necessarily think, though, that he's going to fight for snaps with the edge rushers as much as it might be the down defensive end or even the defensive tackles. Well, I think based on what you're describing, see, I just look at him as a hybrid type of player where if you do want to utilize him within the linebackers, you can, or if you want to keep him down on the line of scrimmage, that's possible too. From a Leonard Williams comparison standpoint, they're the same height. It's just Leonard has a few more meat and potatoes on him compared to Jahad Ward. Got a ton more production, too. Correct, exactly. (laughs) No, but when you were talking about that we could see him bring five, six guys down on the line of scrimmage, if there's more volume, I could see him maybe moving Jahad Ward to the inside because he feels, okay, I have more guys that can get after the quarterback. I just don't know if you want him matched up against the big boys on the offensive line on the interior, where if he's not going to have a lot working with him from a volume standpoint, he's just going to get tied up, and I don't know how much that's going to open up for other guys. But if you have five or six guys on the line, maybe that does draw enough attention, and then some of those other guys can get favorable opportunities off the edge. I think it would really depend on the opposition you're going up against. Oh, everything is is all about matchups, especially with a guy who is going to have a variable scheme. I mean, you you and I both know, Lance, uh, the idea behind Wink Martindale's defense is we're going to do everything we can to beat up that quarterback and to cause mismatches and to create havoc. That that's his primary objective. It's not about coverage. It's not about, you know, uh, doing stuff, uh, you know, on the backside. It's all about attacking with that front seven. And sometimes it's a front eight. I mean, don't be shocked. Zero blitz is also, you know, something that that he won't be afraid to do if he thinks he's got the personnel to do it. You can bring the entire house and then some if you want. You can line all 11 guys up on the line of scrimmage if you really want to try to catch the offense off guard. Since we focused on the defense, before we move to the second question, I think it's worth maybe throwing out one or two guys on the offensive side of the ball, Paul, that perhaps could be sleepers. So, Two guys that come to mind for me, I've thrown his name out a lot on this program. He's not a lot to make the roster, but if he does, I think he could really make some inroads on special teams and be a deep threat at times as a receiver is Robert Foster as a gunner, given what he did in Buffalo. So I think he applies to the sleeper-esque type of role. And I think the other guy is Daniel Bellinger, fourth-round pick this year. We know he was a good blocker at San Diego State, showed some flashes as a receiver, Can he really become that balanced type of tight end on the next level? I think that adds a little bit of intrigue to him. No, I think Bellinger is a very likely candidate for this answer because uh, we all believe that he has soft hands after what we saw during the course of the spring. Uh, Obviously, it will be up to the Giants to decide how much they want to exploit defenses with his ability to catch those passes. I will also say somebody who, who, and and, and the only reason that I'm not sold on Foster is because I'm not even sure he's going to make the team. Well, that's why I said, I said he's no lock to make the team. That's why I preface my statement. So I I, I almost kind of disqualify him because I I don't, I don't really have a real sure grip on him making the 53 because I think he would, he would be fighting Slayton for the role of the taller receiver with long speed. And if Slayton bounces back 
and shows what it is that he's supposed to show, I think he'll lock that spot down. And even though he doesn't play specials like Foster, I suspect the Giants have other guys that they can utilize on specials, like whether it's Board or Richie James. I just, I, I just don't know that Foster has a lot of room to to squeeze onto this roster. But, but there's somebody else here, and you know, I can't get him. I can't get him out of the back of my head, and that's Matt Breida. I know about his ability to get to the edge and to utilize his speed, and he's got terrific hands. He's a smart player. He's done stuff in this league before. He's coming over from Buffalo, and I know he didn't get used a ton in that backfield by committee with the Bills. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, Saquon Barkley is clearly the starter here. I'm not sure that the Giants look at Barkley as a workhorse 25-touch-a-game guy, especially after the injuries that he has sustained the last couple of seasons. So does that mean, okay, even though he's going to be part of the passing game, does that mean we are going to see Matt Breida a little bit more as a substitution back than maybe everybody thinks? Because I think that signing's kind of gone under the radar. I don't think a lot of people even think about him when they think about the Giants running backs. But if Breida does get a chunk of time, don't be surprised if he winds up touching the ball on a lot of those snaps. He's a veteran running back. He's been with a few teams. He's got the ties to Buffalo, so I think that helps his cause. That's why also I bring up Robert Foster because Foster was signed very early mm-hmm. in free agency, and sure. he was also with Joe Shane and Brian Dable in Buffalo, and he only played 25% of the offensive snaps in 2019, by the way, and was with the team for 13 games of the 16 that he appeared in. So that's a lot of games that he played, and he only played 25% of the snaps because he was a valuable special teamer. So anything's possible when they do the math. But Breida, to me, falls right under that umbrella. You got the ties to Buffalo. He's filled in last year. They had some injuries in the backfield. He started a game against New Orleans. He's a shifty guy. If they don't want to overdo it with Saquon, no, it would not surprise me if he carved out a significant role. Speaking of significant role, let's finish up with this question. Number seven. Which veteran additions will play significant roles on the team? So it's a generic statement. Offense, defense, and they went out. They brought in a lot of veterans, and you could go in any direction. So if there's one or two that you're pinpointing, the new faces who are veterans that could come in and season one clearly make their presence felt. Well, I think it's a tie. Runaway winners of Feliciano and Glowinski. I mean, they're going, to be, they're going to be part of the week one starting offensive line, and if everything goes well for them, they, they will not see a single snap off the field when that offense is out on the field. Sure. Well, it's hard to argue with two guys that are penciled in to be starting offensive linemen, and assuming they stay healthy, you're not going to want to see them off the field because the last thing you want to do is move players in and out. Jihad Ward is a guy on defense that they added. He may be able to carve out a role. We were talking about him earlier, so we don't have to repeat. What about, I'm going to go back to the tight end position. We talked about Bellinger. Maybe Ricky Seals-Jones, considering, you know, he was a guy that made some big catches for Washington. Remember, he had that big touchdown grab against the Giants early last season. I'm sure Giants fans remember that, not that they want to remember it. Maybe he actually carves out a significant role, because I think it's going to be split. And if he becomes maybe the main receiving threat, I could see him all of a sudden making an impact here or there, especially if all of these defensive backs are more concerned about the receiving core. 
Well, we all know that the tight end position is a real wild card for this team. How quickly does Bellinger develop? Um, how much does Seals Jones or Akins show right out of the box? I mean, these are two veterans who, for the most part, they've kind of just been guys, right? Neither neither one of those two players, whether it was Seals Jones in Washington or Akins in Houston, stepped up and became big, significant contributors on their respective offenses. Can one of them step up at this stage of their careers and do that for the Giants? Look, the door is there. They can knock on it, but can they kick it in? And, and, will, and will Bellinger just say, you know what, the heck with both of you guys, I'm stealing the starting job. I mean, yeah. that's a wide-open situation. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I think the door's wide open for them. I don't even think they have to knock on the door. I mean, considering there's no one carried over from last season, it's a completely new position group. And here's the other thing about Ricky Seals-Jones. He had Logan Thomas playing in front of him, the former quarterback. He got hurt last season. So Seals-Jones actually played a lot more than I think he would have anticipated at the beginning stages of the season. And that's why, you know, he was pretty much involved much more than we've seen in previous years. And I think at times he did make the most of his opportunities. You look at, he played 60% of the offensive snaps last season. That's the second highest tally compared to 2018 when he was with Arizona. He played 61%. So that was an opportunity that was presented itself to him. And I think he capitalized to a certain degree. So I'm sure he's now hungry. He's looking at, listen, if you're Ricky Seals-Jones, part of the appeal to sign with the Giants was A, there's not a juggernaut in front of you, right, that's going to keep you off the field unless you get hurt or you don't impress the coaches. You're going into a system where if you go to Buffalo, I know Dawson Knox last season, but for the most part, Buffalo had a revolving door of tight ends. I think that probably is one of the reasons why Ricky Sills-Jones said, hey, let me join the Giants. I can actually make quite the name for myself here in the mix. I would only give you one word of caution. Ricky Seals-Jones did not even average 10 yards a catch last year. And and that's that's not a pleasant number if you're the Giants offense, you're trying to get more dynamic, you've got Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka who do a lot of really exciting things with an offense that is going to require their tight end to average a hell of a lot more than nine yards a catch. Now, again, I understand this, you know, we're not talking about a Pro Bowl caliber talent, and we're not expecting him to average 14 or 15 yards a catch. All right, I totally get that. But both he and Akins averaged under 10 yards a catch last season. Yeah, Akins was 8.9. Okay, that that's Caden Smith territory. Okay, and you know what that means to me? That's the tight end who's the safety valve who just catches the dump off because the quarterback's got to get the ball out of his hands, and it's just a safe bet that he's going to catch the ball, hold on to it, and get tackled without any yak yardage. That, that's what that number says to me. That's the kind of player you get with that number. Either one of those guys is going to have to do a hell of a lot more than that if they're going to hold off Bellinger. Well, Bellinger, he was just over 10. He was at 11.5 last season with San Diego State, and they didn't really have a big-time passing attack. So I think the jury is still out with Bellinger just because he did it a little bit at the college level. Does that carry over? And here's the other thing. 
when you look at the Giants' offense overall, something tells me they're not expecting the tight end to put up monster numbers because if everybody stays healthy in the receiving core and the running backs, they expect those guys to put up the big-time numbers. And then maybe you work in the tight ends for blocking and red zone targets. But I don't think you're looking to really stretch the field with the tight ends within this offense, I guess is what I'm getting at. Knox averaged over 12 yards a catch last year. Okay? That, to me, that's, that's the number. You got you got you got to be twelve yards a catch. If you're under ten yards a catch, it, you're you're not really providing much to the offense. So there's opportunities within the tight end group. We'll see who rises to the top as the season progresses. That is going to do it for Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We will continue to preview upcoming opponents as we'll turn our attention to the NFC East foes as we finish up this series. Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. And we will speak to you on Tuesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at VisitCalifornia.com.